0: In April 2020, just as the global pandemic was kicking off, Lawrence and I started recording our weekly Friday firesides. These are conversations broadcast live over the Crowdcast platform and joined by people all over the world who listen in and share their thoughts with us via the chat. We started these live recordings as an opportunity to keep in touch with our members as well as process what it meant to run a business during a pandemic. Since then, we've broadcast nearly every single Friday and built up a library of over 100 episodes. We cover a range of different topics from money to meaning, pricing to purpose, vision to vulnerability, entrepreneurship to empathy, and product design to life design. This is our perspective of what it means to do business
1: from the inside out, as well as the outside in. If you're a business hippie just like us, then you'll definitely find something of value here. We hope that these conversations inspire and motivate you to do work and build businesses that create meaningful change without burning out. Because like us,
0: you're just wanting to make money, do good and be happy. Today we are going to be exploring partly, I think we're going to try not to geek out too much on the Enneagram, but we will be talking about the Enneagram quite a lot. The reason why I'm interested in this is this whole idea around how much we actually know ourselves and what does that mean and how, how do we go about doing that. And there's so many different profiling tools and, and gurus out there who will tell you who you are um, and why is that useful. Uh, and if that is useful, um, how are you going to use that in your lives and in your work? So I think we're going to have a bit of a deep dive into what, these tools can do for us and how maybe they can steer us in the wrong direction sometimes. I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a sceptic around this, and I've done the Enneagram test so I know what type I am. So I'll be curious to find out what that means and how to use it. And we're joined by Anna or Anya. Oh no, actually, sorry, Annie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Before we started the call, Anna said that she does not like being called Annie because it just reminds her of someone horrible at school. And so, of course... I decided to just use goes. that knowledge. I love it. <laughs> it's just go <going> there, <laughs> um, <laughs> Becky. So to begin with, I thought what would be useful is to set the scene. Is one of you share what the
1: enneagram is?
2: You know, I, I was looking this up the other day because I'm always curious how people talk about it. And generally, I saw it described as a um, like a personality framework. And it is that. Um, and I think that's maybe an easier way to describe it. But but I actually don't think of it that way because it's not it's not like a personality typing tool the way that so many others are out there. And it's not even really a trait typing tool. So there's like the Big Five and the Myers-Briggs that talk about kind of different traits. And you have this certain kind of you know recipe of traits. And then that determines what your type is and your personality and how you act. Um, And that's sort of like a superficial element of the Enneagram, but what the types actually are. So there's nine types. They're actually, they're types of motivation, like core motivation. So a core motivation might be um, sort of like a deepest need in a way, you know, the deepest sort of core thing that motivates like who we are and how we act um, and what we want and don't want in life is, is this sort of core motivation, like to be loved to be unique to be not vulnerable to be safe and so there's nine patterns of that you know i mean there's you know there's infinite kind of personalities and ways of expressing personality but you know there there aren't that many patterns right and so there's about nine there's nine patterns of core motivation and from those patterns our personalities develop. I mean, not just from those patterns, but you can sort of see how a different person, like if someone doesn't ever want to be vulnerable, you can see how their personality might develop over time compared to someone whose core need is to feel loved, you know, but it's not starting from the personality. It's starting from this deeper motivation, which is um, why it can be sometimes hard to figure out what your type is, because the way we talk about it is with you know, behaviors and sort of typical ways, oh, this person's, you know, they're totally a four, they act like a four, but you can have a, someone who acts like a three and they're an eight actually because why they're doing what they're doing is what the Enneagram is really rooted in. And as far as what it is, there are modern Enneagram teachers. There are people who have, you know, people have sort of traced it to, you know, hundreds, some say even thousands of years ago. It seems to be, I think, because it is really about patterns, of these organic beings that are humans you know like we have the patterns that we have and things change outside of us but we have we're still human so these things have kind of come up over the you know millennia potentially and people have sort of identified and noticed these patterns i guess it's often called
3: yeah it's often thought of as a system and i think that's a good word but i also like the idea of it being a map because there's something about the dynamism in it and the movement in the enneagram that i really love that I guess a lot of personality style things when typing can make people feel like they've been boxed and I've always resisted that and like labels and boxes. Um, But what I like about the Enneagram is the concept that it's about, it's a bit cheesy to say this, but it's a key to unlock the box in some ways. Like it's a key to growth. It's a a map, a pathway to growth, I think, and transformation and uh, spiritual and psychological, I guess it's deeper than most psychological kind of personality typing models that are out there. And that's where I really like it. And I think the reason it's deeper is like Anna was saying, it's it's about understanding our kind of our compulsive behaviors, our habits of thinking, feeling, acting, and why we do that. And trying to then bring a consciousness to that so that we don't just go into that unconscious kind of mode of slipping into those patterns that can be quite destructive. <coughs>
2: You can get really deep with the Enneagram. It is very deep. There's many layers. There's many nuances to it. You can get really spiritual. You know, people do. And also, you know, what you just said, Becky, that there's this dynamic aspect to it. It's a map and a path. Like, it's also just very rational. There's patterns of motivation, you know, and personality patterns that are related to it. And then because there are those patterns, there are pathways for development. So, like, it, it, you know, it, you can get really deep about it, but it's, it also makes sense. Like, if, you're, if your core motivation is to, to be right, to be good, like, you can imagine there are certain pathways for growth from that point.
0: I think well, I would like to just tap into there just to kind of set the scene as to explain you know why is this interesting or important to people? What what do you mean by this pathway to growth? And what does that mean in terms of transformation? What what benefit? You know, I'm an old dog. Why do I need to know new tricks? It's like this is me. Fuck you.
3: Look, I think I think it's a I think there's there's a really good point there, Carlos. Because I think what the enneagram helps us to understand or um, shines a light on are the things that kind of worked for us in childhood, like our ways of um, feeling loved or feeling safe, or, um, et cetera, like I was saying. And those things are, effect- in some ways, the personality trappings. They're, they're kind of there um things that work uh, to a point but then i guess they get to it gets to a point where we don't need that anymore or it's not actually doing us any good so on a surface level it could be so for instance as a i'm an enneagram 2 those that know what that means will say a bit more in due course and can I out you as well, Carlos, that you've just found out that you're <laughs> <glam> the <two>, same <laughs> subtype as me? You just did. <laughs> yeah,
4: too late. Yes, Publicly <laughs> outed.
3: I'm kind of getting revenge on Anna's behalf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and so for me, there's a lot of things about being a two that have helped me succeed in um, work and life, if you look at it on a surface level. So twos are good at influencing people. Twos are good at befriending people winning people over and I've kind of always taken pride in that in a sense so that if someone complains I can generally turn that around and turn them into an advocate. I'm the mediator so I can kind of win people over etc all of that stuff but when I started to started to explore the Enneagram I realized actually how compulsive some of that is that um, some of it although it kind of serves me and that it's helped me to be successful in aspects of my work that actually under the surface when i've looked at why am i doing that that there's a compulsiveness there that there's a pride that um i hadn't even been aware of because i'd always been told my whole life that i'm humble and two but twos have a lot of like there's this compulsive desire to be seen in a particular way to be liked to be approved of and that can drive compulsive behaviors but what it's not doing is meeting the deeper needs that we have that we're kind of avoiding in that
0: I hear you and I'm going, la, 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 la. don't want to hear. I don't want to (laughs) know.
2: Yeah, me (laughs) too. You know, another answer to your question, Carlos, is like, you know, you don't have to. I mean, I personally don't think that there's any sort of absolute reason for anyone to grow and develop. You know, I think like if someone wants to, you know, maybe it's, you know, just someone who's into growth and development, or if if something happens, you know, sometimes people come to growth and development because of some sort of breakthrough or breakdown, and they're interested in doing that. You know, I mean, there are thousands or more ways of doing that. And, you know, I think that the any from what I've seen, you know, and I've investigated many of those thousands over the years, the Enneagram, I don't think it's like the tool to end all tools, but it's a really, really helpful tool and you know framework and sort of thing that supports growth and development, any kind of human mm-hmm. growth and development, because there's like something there, you're not just sort of flailing around. Um, I mean, that's a way to do it, too. Yeah, I personally don't love that. You know, that's part of my own work is you know, learning to let go of frameworks and just flow and you know, whatever flowing people do, you know, but, so yeah, I mean, you don't have to like, you, you know, like, no one has to care about the Enneagram or anything else like that. But if you're interested in getting past limits, and also, you know, it's not just about fixing, but it's also just about, you know, like thriving too. you know, you can look at the Enneagram in terms of, you know, like, oh, these are things I need to fix or work through. And it's helpful for that. But also, these are strengths. Like as an eight, I've been told over the years, you know, variations of like, you're too much, you're too intense, you know, and then I sort of started to hide because of that. And the Enneagram stuff has helped me have a very different perspective on that and become much more comfortable with who I am.
0: So I want to take it to Lawrence, actually, because, you know, you were trying to get onto this Enneagram thing this morning and you spent ages just even trying to.
4: (laughs) Which is a classic. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Whatever number I am. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm curious from your perspective in terms of this you know one of the things i know about you is that you hate rules you don't want to be like stuck into these what no, how does it come across to you this whole idea of you know these typing tools and putting yourself in a box nearly
4: well i think this, this does feel different and again i'm not talking from first-hand experience here but it feels different in terms of the amount of people I know who really, who, who I respect, including these two, who, who talk about it in a way that sounds very helpful. So I think in the past, like a lot of you might have been scarred a bit by Myers-Briggs and, and also uh, there seems to be like different camps, isn't there? There's people who are like big on strengths and the Strength Finder and all of that. Then there's the Myers-Briggs camp. And then we've been coached live on air by Becky with the Lumina tool. So there's lots of tools out there, isn't there? And, and so I'm curious about this in terms of, like you said, it doesn't sound so rigid, and that's what I'm more curious about. Um, but yeah, I think like Anna said, I don't think there's any one tool that's going to you know, change everyone in, in the same way. I think it just feels like being open to using this in a way that's more exploratory.
0: Well, here's a question for you then, Lars. You know, we did the Lumina thing. Did you find that helpful in any way?
4: I actually found it helpful in terms of us two together. I wouldn't say I've worked with it since, but just having a visual picture of like our personality types mapped together, I've found interesting just to see, oh, okay, that's why we work well together because we have complementary uh, traits almost. And and to just see how we both approach different situations. So I found that bit useful as a team rather than necessarily as a personal growth tool.
0: Is there something around why you haven't looked more deeply into it as a personal thing?
4: I get bored easily, so maybe it's something around. I just don't have the uh, sort of. You're such
0: a seven. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we can go into a bit more detail now as to all right. What is it? Where are all these numbers? <laughs> what are we talking about with one, two, three, four?
3: I think it's hard to find really good um, descriptions or labels for each of the types. So. For example, for twos, considerate helper for me isn't a good description. It's actually, I think there's a bit of a a myth almost in there that that's what twos are like, that we're givers, we're helpers. It almost implies that we're behind the scenes kind of cleaning up or whatever. And that isn't it. That twos do give and help sometimes, but quite strategically. And I think a better description, Beatrice Chestnut, who I trained with, she talks about, she's a two as well, and she describes twos as a befriender. And I think that's a much better description. It kind of gets to the motivation that it's about connecting with people and relating with relationship oriented. So for me, I prefer to just use the numbers, but at the same time, I think it's a lot to cover in an hour or less uh, Less now. So it's good to have a starting point, but just some of them are kind of imperfect.
2: I think the naming is different teachers or different practitioners sort of attempt to really nail it down. And sometimes, you know, it's great. Sometimes it's not, you know, I mean, I, I sort of notice them but I think of it more in terms of the number because that's, you know, just sort of more uniform. Like, so mine, I'm an eight active controller. I don't, I don't love that name. I think it's, I don't think it's very nice. Um, (laughs) There might be some truth to it, but you know, it's, it's not my favorite. And also the other thing I generally don't love about the naming is that it does focus on sort of typical behaviors or characteristics. And while that's valid, it's definitely not always true. You know, like in my 20s, even, you know, for a lot of my life when I wasn't happy and very healthy sort of emotionally, I was not anything remotely like an active controller. You know, in fact, it took me many years to to determine what my type was. I think it's useful
3: to start by saying that as a way in, that there are three centers of intelligence that the types will fit into. So at the top, eight, nine and one, they're in the body or instinctive or gut center of intelligence. Two, three and four are in the heart center, so feeling or emotional center. And five, six and seven are in the thinking center, so the head center. It's a good way in, particularly if you don't know your type, I think. Not everyone does it this way, but I quite like to think first about the centers. And then, so there's three centers, nine types. And then within each type, there are three kind of subtypes. But there is a I I say that because there's a complex, there's a depth and a complexity in terms of there's 27 types really, or 27 subtypes.
0: So um, why don't we take a a, a whistle stop tour of the different types then, and your impre- maybe your own summaries. Uh, I'll say a number and then I'll pass it on to one of you to then just give your perspective on what that type means. So let's start off with ones.
2: So one's core need is to be right or to be good. And maybe another thing to say about that is our core needs tend to come from sort of like an original wound or a narcissistic wound. You know, it doesn't have to be anything traumatic. Sometimes it is. um, But that's just part of what happens to us as, you know, in our human experience. You know, like when we come out of the womb, it's traumatic and it's just like this, you know, sort of, oh, shit moment. And then there's something else that happens early on. That's another sort of, oh, shit moment that has us realize like, oh, I'm separate you know, from my mother, from other people in the world. Um, and so, you know, whatever the one's core wound was, it had them sort of develop this deep need, plus their personality, like sort of genetics, to be right and to be good. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, the way that that often plays out in personality is, you know, ones tend to be, you know, very buttoned up, you know, sometimes you know, you can sort of feel their energy. It's, it's sort of like introverted energy often and you know they often look really sort of put together simple not over the top they're strict perfectionists you know they they want things to to be right to work right they will often sacrifice anything you know their own comfort you know sometimes relationships happiness in life in order to do what they believe is right so there is sort of this, there is a kind of a belief that there is sort of an absolute truth. Authority can be, you know, something that a one, you know, even if they don't agree with it, again, not always, but um, even mm. if they don't agree with it, you know, they tend to really kind of respect it because that's the the right. Chris has just put in the chat about the reformer. That's
3: another title that some use mm-hmm. for the ones. And ones, mm-hmm. there is that drive to perfect, to re- reform, and some ones it's expressed as, a perfecting of themselves some it's about perfecting others some it's about perfecting the world so they can be some can be campaigners and social justice reformers for instance um but yeah there's there's a strong often a strong inner critic ones often repress anger anger is a important emotion for eights nines and ones in the body center all of those numbers have a different relationship with anger but for ones it's often repressed because anger doesn't seem like a right way to behave they might feel irritation or resentment that there's anger that are often repressing. And in terms of some of the gifts, I guess, I hesitate to say gifts, because I think with all of the types, the gifts are Achilles heels as well. And they're kind of, they're still ego kind of trappings in a sense, but the gifts in terms of the the are and the positive things that you'll see in ones are, they're, they're often reliable, ethical, structured hard-working reformers for change
1: well
0: all you ones out there you've just been totally red now um i'm going to accelerate this a bit because we do have quite a few to get through so um sevens we have a number of sevens here becky do you want to give us a, yeah. a high level seven description
3: yeah so sevens are in that triad that not triad. the um center of intelligence that's the thinking center so with fives and sixes so sevens um are um they love ideas they they love planning um but they do a lot of planning often as an avoidance of pain so they're kind of running away from pain often they they're they're pleasure seekers they're they're often adventurous can be hedonistic sometimes there can be a scatteredness because there's so many possibilities for sevens they they love uh yeah keeping those possibilities open and um so sometimes there can be a lack of focus with that. They want to kind of do everything. And in terms of the gifts, again, the, the, there's a there's a real optimism. They're like master reframers. They see a difficult situation and they can see the positives in it. They can see the opportunities in it. And they're really charming. They're fun to be around. There's a great energy. They they're interested in new experiences, new learning, new people. Um,
0: okay, uh, I'm going to move us on to four, Anna.
2: So um, four's, four's core need is to be unique, to find meaning, but it, there really some, there is really something around kind of being unique, being special, genuinely unique and special. Fours can be known for being very sort of dramatic, um, and that, like that loving different any sort of emotional experience of life. So like if they're happy, it's just this like delicious, happy thing, you know, if they're depressed, if they just watched a sad movie or if something, you know, like terrible happened, you know, I mean, they're feeling the feelings and maybe didn't want it to happen. But at the same time, there's this sort of like, like, oh, this is delicious, any sort of range of of feeling or depth and their um, their passion or their vice is is envy. And some of their, their strengths are also around originality. So, I mean, seeing the, the beauty in all emotions and all kind of um, aspects of, of life and art in a really unique way.
0: I'm going to pause for a bit on the going through that because I, there's a couple of questions that are coming up and I think they're going to be relevant. So we have uh, Jelly asking, is it possible to be a mix of different types
3: it, it, it's not but it's quite um what what i'd say is it's hard to find an accurate test there is um, one that i've started using that and i know anna uses which is ieq9 so that is a, a a more thorough accurate test but most as you've said jelly um might come up with ones that are possibilities and actually it took me a long time to land on my type. i thought i was a one i discovered the enneagram in my 20s and i thought i was a one for a long time and then uh, realized that I I was a two and when I did eventually. It was a lot of reading, a lot of workshops, seeing panels, etc. There's a lot of good resources out there to kind of get a feel for which you might be. So it's good you might have narrowed it down only to five, six, and seven, but what that can sometimes tell you is that there's a lot of types that are connected. So for instance, twos are connected to four and eight to the arrows, and that means that that's about growth or disintegration path so when under stress at my worst and i'm unhealthy i can take on the downsides of eights and fours so fours maybe the moodiness twos can take on and starting to feel quite down or depressed difficult emotions around sadness and that in at eight i can sometimes just flip and feel the rage or show rage that uh eight, eights might, might sometimes do um but there's a growth path there as well for twos for instance that i I know that I need the creativity of fours, the looking inwards. I focus too much on other people's needs and I need to really spend time focusing on my own difficult feelings, unpleasant feelings, and sitting with those sometimes and working out what I need. And that going to four helps me. A retreat helps me. Creativity helps me. All the things fours do really well. And eights also help. help, It helps me to go to the high points of eight, which is around asserting myself. Eights and fours are both very authentic types. So it helps me to go to eight to... Learn to express my own needs and to ask for what I want directly, not indirectly, as too mm-hmm. often do. So there's movement, and we also have wings either side. So that could be why, for instance, if you're a five, you've got your wings of four and uh, six. If you're a five, so that that's why you can relate to some aspects, but we are still one one core type.
2: So another thing that people say is that we're all, we have all the types in us, you know, it's not, you know, like, it's just that there's one that's really expressed the most because of our core motivation. You can actually, as you get to know each type better, you can look to different types for kind of inspiration, you know, there, there was one Enneagram teacher that I worked with, who is all about somatic Enneagram. So like, all kinds of like body movements, and she has sort of her own, and then she has people that she teaches develop their own, like, you know, if I want to be in the zone of a two, for some reason, or a five or a six, like, if it's appropriate or helpful with something that's going on in my life, there's even, you know, movements, I can sort of practice and take on to feel more in that space.
0: Well, this kind of leads on to another question, really, from Rebecca, and she's interested to know how you apply this in coaching.
2: Sure. I mean, so, you know, I've used it in, in different ways a lot over the years. Um, I used it before, you know, when I was sort of still in corporate and dabbling in coaching, I used it. So, you know, the sort of the most overt way to use it, which, you know, I do now is, you know, with, with some clients, either who are in longer term programs with me or come specifically for Enneagram coaching, um, you know, we'll actually, you know, we'll talk about it, you know, it can be sort of, it can be a focus, you know, they'll do the, the assessment, we sort of talk through the assessment, you know, there's a lot in there, talk about the type, you know, and some of the things that we just talked about the wings and the all of, There's a lot there. Um, and then, you know, can, you know, talk about like what what in there sort of maybe peaks, you know, sparks some interest for them or feels like, oh, that might be an interesting thing to look into and then sort of use that with different practices related to it for development. So that's a really overt way of using it. But I've used it, you know, like over the years, you know, whether I knew someone's type or not some, you know, it could be a client, it could be someone at work, but you know, say it's a client, we weren't, we never talked about the Enneagram, maybe I didn't know their type, but I could see certain kinds of behaviors or patterns, whether it was their type or not, there are, you know, like, because of the patterns in the Enneagram, you know, I could see maybe different practices that might be supportive for their growth, you know, or for kind of like busting out of the box of personality. Uh, I guess one other thing I'll say is I think about my own type, especially as a coach. I mean, in any relationship that I have, but especially as a coach, um, it's helped me become much more aware of like my own, you know, sort of box that I've been living in, um, personality box and, and blind spots potentially. And so I'm much more aware of that as a coach.
3: Yeah, I well, I like to use it overtly as well, like rather than, I know some people like to use it as a, even if they're not explicitly saying they're using the Enneagram, they're almost reading people, maybe if they can guess at their type, they might do certain things in terms of how they build rapport. I'm personally, I'm not a fan of that, I'm, not that I don't mind other people doing it, but I think I naturally, I guess, as a two, two's naturally intuit what people might be needing, and then adapt our style accordingly. So I, I don't, that does. I don't necessarily do that, but I also don't really like to type people inadvertently, like uh, covertly. I prefer to actually do it overtly. I just mm. find that more honest, or more upfront. So I'd rather, if they want to explore it, I don't really want to be typing something in my head. I'd rather, if they want to explore it help them do a typing interview or a test and then to work with them on understanding themselves, doing some of that deep work. And I guess what I have found useful in becoming an Enneagram practitioner is an awareness of how I'm so in that heart centre, too you know, firmly in that heart centre. And my approach often as a coach, as a mediator, as a facilitator and a trainer is, is so about emotions. And I've realised that actually there's other ways in you know for some people for people that are body types for instance the importance of being held in a kind of more structured environment or and the thinking types there'll be other ways into like they might need to to gain trust and rapport they're going to need different things and so that that's helpful for me to just kind of broadly speaking to just remember that there's different centers and and to, to Use all of them and adapt a bit more, not
4: get so stuck in emotions. I love what Anna said about self-awareness. Really, about you know, as a coach, to know your blind spots. That sounds quite useful. As a, even just in in that of itself, I think Rebecca said that too. As a starting, as she's starting out, you know, just to have that awareness of, yeah, what are you missing out on. Um, so, so yeah, I think this feels like a big sales pitch. <laughs> Have you convinced me that this is <laughs> for me?
0: Well, I think the bit I'm trying to connect with here is one of the things we do on our Vision 2020 program, we do this thing called the Purpose Playbook. And this whole idea of like, what is it is motivating me to do the work, to make the things in the world, to make the impact that I think I want to make. And so what is the motivation? And so an element of this where I connect it with the Enneagram is like, what are these things that drive me to, you know, so? oh, I need to create or I need to make impact or I need to help people or whatever it is so that there's more awareness in that process of like, okay, what is the work that will suit me best in terms of how this whole Venn diagram of making money, doing good, being happy is, is, you know, what does it mean to make myself happy? <laughs> how can I do good in a way that's actually aligned and not a destructive behavior because I'm trying to overextend and when it comes to making money as well as like you know what aspects of my character and personality stop me from doing that
1: for instance
3: i was reflecting on that before this actually because what helped me in terms of vision 2020 that purpose playbook i loved that exercise and that working out what um my core needs are and then coming up with the bit that where we came up with a almost a mantra and what it, it really tapped into the Enneagram two thing for me because my mantra ended up being you might remember this Lawrence and Anna it ended up being because I'm worth it and uh, yeah like <laughs> the you know, L'Oreal, L'Oreal L'Oreal but, and it's it kind of relevant on so many levels because on one level I realised that like today so often I uh, don't even take the time to wash my hair and you know because I'm not I'm kind of you know there's this. this this neglecting of my own needs sometimes. So there's something about L'Oreal ads that reminded me to, you know, blow dry my hair and then feel fabulous. But also it linked into so much around pricing, around it, you know, for twos there's this real deep fear of not being worthy of love and and being fearful of rejection, which can then mean that I underprice stuff. And the pricing course that, you know, Carlos and Ben did just to plug that for you, that that was really helpful in kind of what understanding some of those you know, linking it to the Enneagram some of those core kind of beliefs and limitation limits so for me it 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 really helped with that stuff because it also made me realize I teach what I struggle with the most I as a mediator and a coach I'm it's all about help a lot of my work is about helping people to understand what they feel and need and express it to others assertively mm. and empathetically and I don't do that enough mm. myself so all of that stuff it, it helped me to realize what I'm really good at also
0: to work on the deeper stuff and i, I just wanted to actually throw this over to anna as well because like what i heard uh you becky staff was like this there's the needs thing that we did on vision 2020 i'm seeing a lot of this particularly now with the enneagram there's a if you want to there's an opportunity to have a deeper investigation as to where are those needs coming from and anna was saying like you know i, th- I think you said about ones you know some wound in the past it's like do you see that connection where you say, oh, at a high level, I see these needs, but actually, where are they coming from?
2: That's, that's actually the question. I mean, is, is where they're coming from. That's where I think just almost like, you know, like massive kind of insight and growth can, can happen. We don't, we don't have to know that. But, you know, like even if you take something like perfectionism, right, and ones are, they're called perfectionists. They're known for being perfectionists. But they're, and so people will hear that and often think, well, I'm a super perfectionist, so I must be a one. That's what i thought for many years like i am a perfect perfectionist i mean it is such a core part of my personality but it turns out i'm not the reason i'm doing it like that's that's where insight happens for me and understanding and growth like i'm not a perfectionist because i need to be good or need to be right i used to really want to be right but you know like i actually care about that i'm a perfectionist because you know on some core level i came to believe that doing that would help me not be vulnerable so it's a way to stay sort of safe in a way that unlocks so much insight for me um (coughs) understanding that like oh like you know you know like what eights are known for sort of a loss of innocence that happened very early you know usually in childhood they often they're often you know kids who kind of grew up sooner than a kid should have to And so they seem really strong and really tough and like very, you know, invulnerable, you know, or when they're vulnerable, it seems like, oh, it's so easy for them to be authentic. But understanding that like everything I do is actually about this like really deep fear that I didn't even know I had. I I don't even know if I have words for how helpful that's been.
0: (laughs) There's an element here and I'm just trying to sort of like pick up on what Rebecca was asking is like this is like border on therapy do I really want to go there this is like quite this is a Pandora's box potentially of of all sorts of things that for instance oh all I want to do is start a business I didn't actually want to deconstruct my whole life just turn into a gibbering mess on the floor and I think this is the thing that I why I'm very curious about this stuff is like on the surface level yes we're trying to help people find new ways of working find a new way of building a business put themselves out there and you can tell people to the cows come home that this is the best thing to do for you to actually get a customer or price well or whatever it is but without really understanding what is the resistance below that then you're just basically banging your head against a brick wall and then there's a level here of uh, if you want someone to grow and transform you somehow need to get their buy-in to want to go there as well because I think that's one of the challenges we may have, and we've had in the past, whether it is as an agency or as a Happy Startup School, we really want that people to change, but are they ready to change?
4: Yeah.
0: So there's a level I think here in terms of uh, maybe we can finish off here around the compassion around this work, and you know, there's I think there's a there's an evangelism maybe we're having here and terms of, oh this is amazing, but at the same time we're going to meet people where they're at as well. It seems.
3: Yeah, it's a tricky one because I guess Enneagram can be used. It's used in coaching and therapy, it's worth saying. I think there's a lot of therapists that use it. And I guess it's a bit like coaching in some ways. You can do kind of pragmatic work, goal setting, et cetera, all of that stuff. And you can do some good work and you know, have shorter bouts of therapy that do some good work, like cognitive behavioural therapy or whatever, that can address some patterns of thinking and behaving. But maybe you'll just only get so far, but you can still do some good work, I guess. But, yeah, for me, I remember, you know, with pricing challenges I have sometimes when I've, you know, just priced too low, maybe undervalued what I'm offering, probably because of the fear of rejection before, you know, quite a few people have said to me over time, uh, you know, other entrepreneurs, just double your prices. And it's always really frustrated me because it's like, (laughs) I can't do it. I physically can't do it. Or if I did, it would be absolutely excruciating because it's so much more complex than that it's got to be the question of why why do I struggle with that what's the what's getting in the way what is it what is my what are my beliefs what are my motivations what are my fears The fears is the big one okay it's a fear of rejection it's a fear of how I'll look will I look greedy it's a fear of being greedy maybe it's a, all of that stuff and actually until you uncover some of that but I think there is coming back to your question Carlos I think there is a a way of doing it gent- gently and i think it has to be done um that's why i like doing it overtly i don't want to ma- manipulate i think it has to be done you know with gentle questions around help help me understand why that's difficult for you or help me understand what you're most worried about there and if someone's cool. fearful of going there i kind of want to understand that too i suppose but again people have a choice whether they answer the questions or not and some types will have a natural fear of a natural scepticism towards any personality typing or models. It's worth saying that. Someone asked that question, I think, in the chat about some types. Are their different responses to the Enneagram? Like fours tend to love it because it's looking inward. It's really exploring the depths of their personality. Other types, like sixes, there might be a natural kind of scepticism of it and a suspicion around it, for instance.
2: So I, I guess I sort of think of things as like our capacity for what we can do in this world for kind of our thriving and our contribution and our impact. And you know, If you're an entrepreneur for what you can do in your business is in a lot of ways determined by how deep we're willing to go inside. I mean, I guess the other way of looking at it is that it can be really limited by how deep we're willing to go. And I don't think, I mean, that's, that's neutral. It's not good or bad. I mean, people can choose what they want to choose there. But for the people who, you know, want to go, I mean, really to any level of depth, something like the Enneagram is really useful again, like, I mean, Becky said, it's, it's sort of, it's a map and I like that, you know, not, I don't think it's the best tool on the planet ever of all time, but it can be really handy to have this sort of map of patterns. And whether it's, whether it's for your type or not, I mean, even if you're just looking at perfectionism, for example, whether you're a type one, or whether you know somebody that you're coaching as a type one, just, just, but if perfectionism, the pattern shows up, it can be a really handy way to sort of look at, you know, like, if you want to do something about it, if you don't love the perfectionism, or if you love someone who is a perfectionist, it can, the Enneagram can be a really handy way to sort of sort out, what might I do there? How might I respond? How might I grow? And, I mean, there's people who thought through all of these ma- you know, huge combinations of patterns.
0: I just saw um, Chris say, I'd hate to coach you one. Like, oh, Enneagram is a one. F- oh, Enneagram is a filter for your clients.
2: Oh, they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> <are> fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Lawrence, what have you learned today?
4: <laughs> well, I don't know. It sounds like whole, <laughs> the rabbit hole of Enneagramness. I'm thinking, you know, there's tools that we've integrated into our work. The bit I'm always interested in is like, what's the accessible way in for, for people that's not, yeah. Even just when you have these different types and the naming, it can, like you said, it can pigeonhole people or just put people off maybe because they resist it. So yeah, I'd be curious to explore it more to see what can we learn that we can integrate in our work to get people, if they want to go on that path, more curious about, about it. So in some ways. Yeah, just simplifying simplifying some of it, it sounds like, without diluting it, which is, I guess, a skill with these things. It's hard to do. If there was a, a number that you would hate to be in a room full of lots of them, which <laughs> would it be?
3: <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be in a room full of any of them, to be honest. OK, this,
4: this is, is where you like offend a lot really of your clients.
3: Answer, but <laughs> as in, there's something about the need for, balance,
4: for uh, balance. Sitting on the fence.
2: I know, it really is. But
3: yeah, Such I don't know. To do. You need to ask Anna that. She'll be more direct
2: in answering that one. It would probably be fours for me, even though I love I love fours.
4: Yeah, and all my fours that are listening to, that pay me, I, have, I love you. <laughs> I have a
2: lot to learn from fours because I tend to want to like if there's a feeling that I don't like or something, you know, I just want to like you know deal with it, move on quickly, and you know, fours can be the opposite of that. So there's just a lot of like feeling. <laughs> if it was a room for a full of fours, it would be a lot of feeling. But I also appreciate that.
3: And actually, what you said, Anna, is a good answer for me. <laughs> it shows that there's the chemistry between the types, like that might make it mm-hmm. different to people, Lawrence. Because for some, that would be a uh, you know that would be a helpful kind of energy aura, but for others, mm-hmm. so probably if you ask different numbers, which they'd find hard, it would be different. Like for twos, maybe being in a whole room full of fives might be challenging because there's a withdrawing in fives sometimes and twos want to move towards in terms of the relationship. So you know it just might be it's different different numbers, I guess.
0: On that, there's a curious note here, because so talking to the skepticism, when I first did this I was a five.
1: Mm.
0: And then I did this other thing and now I'm a two. So that's so, and I identified with both of them. And I was like, oh okay. On the whole, which you know, which which type would you not want to be in a room full of? I remember uh, altitude one time, Lawrence. What was that thing that Richard Alderson did with the kind of that quadrants of the leadership thing and put yourself in a quadrant?
4: Wealth oh, um, dynamics, isn't
0: it? Uh, I'm not sure about wealth dynamics, but it was something oh. around. Basically, I was the only one on the other side of the room. Like, there's a whole bunch of fucking visionaries there, <laughs> and I was kind of the the. the the lonely ox mm-hmm. <laughs> who wanted to just get shit done the, all the boring stuff so yeah that can be a bit boring when you're just lo- full of a room full of people with ideas in terms of uh, the using of the Enneagram I, th- I, I love the idea of the invitation for some deeper reflection and I think talking to what Lawrence is saying I think there's a one way that someone's described what we do is like we just open a door to another little world of things of toys and and ways of looking at the world, and we try and make that door as inviting as simple to open as possible, but it's very hard to simplify some of the deeper work I think you know we I don't think it's easy to simplify the lumina the enneagram because they are the next step after you thinking, "Uh, oh, okay, mm. there's something I want to work on in a bit more deeply and so I'm thinking about, particularly when we, we do accountability groups, momentum, we're trying to get people to do stuff. And there's a, that, that classic whip cracking. Yeah, do it. You know, what did you do? What, what, did, you do? what did you achieve this week? What are you going to achieve next week? How, have you done it? Like that kind of stick approach. And then there's maybe of a carrot, like, oh, what is your vision? What do you feel like you're going to create in the future? How are we going to work towards it? But all of that won't work unless you really know why (laughs) you're not doing something or why you really want that thing in the world. And so to get people to understand some of those motivations, I'm thinking like, okay, they need to open up. And so to what Becky was saying, I think it's like, how do we gently caress people into that state of like, oh, I I think I need to find out more. So there's carrot stick or caress people into actually (laughs) taking (laughs) – Action <laughs> in the world. I've yeah. been saving that up for the past twenty minutes.
4: Um, I'm not coming to you. But
0: account. ultimately, we want to get people to 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 do stuff that's useful to them. And and how do we do okay. that in a way that doesn't feel like we're we're forcing our own needs on them? I think yeah. is the thing that's really interesting. And that's what uh, when Anna was talking about our own awareness of what we are is so useful with this work. Awesome. Okay, thank you everyone. Have a great rest of the day. Bye. Cheers,
4: guys. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Entrepreneur podcast. To hear more inspiring conversations like this, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for the Happy Entrepreneur. In March, we'll be launching Tribe 7 of our Vision 2020 program. If you're at a point in your career entrepreneurial journey where you're asking yourself what next and you need the clarity and confidence to make some bold decisions about a new direction then this program is for you we'll help you define what success really means to you understand the impact that is yours to make make sure your mission is both energetically and financially sustainable and also learn how to build a supportive community around yourself we want people who are driven to do good in the world and are tired of trying to do it on their own. We share the key lessons we've learned while building the Happy Startup School and pivoting from the stressful peaks and troughs of agency life to a life of freedom, adventure, service and connection. We value learning, play and friendship and we'd like to help you discover the values and the work that align more to who you are. Don't struggle alone. And don't get sidetracked by other people's measures of success. Discover for yourself what it means to create effortless impact. To apply for the next tribe, go to vision.happystartups.co We look forward to hearing from you.